Uh, do you ever wonder whether God gets bored of your prayers? Or maybe whether he checks his watch as you're praying to him? You know, I think if I was God, I would find my average prayer just that. I'd find it average, I'd find it boring, I'd find it predictable. In the same way that if everything I said to Wendy was the same thing each and every time, uh, I'm not sure how scintillating a conversation that would be. And I think that if we were to honestly listen to our own prayers, we would see these well-worn game runs of well-known phrases or ruts even things that we say over and over again. But really, it's hard to think up new things to say to God, right? So we end up saying the same things over and over again. And these well-worn phrases might be comforting, but I do wonder whether they grab God's attention. So this morning, I want to challenge us to go a little off-piste with God in our prayers, a bit off-road Uh, off script, to risk being honest in our prayers. It was a few months ago, um, in the wintertime, I was walking with the family in the Marlborough Forest. We were having fun, we were sliding on the frozen lake, and from where we were, we could see um, a couple of guys who were carrying big backpacks and they were snowshoeing into the forest. Um, these are actually them. I have a great zoom on my camera. And uh, yeah, this is actually them. Now, now I knew that they were walking into the forest, firstly because I saw them, but also because I'd actually had a conversation with them earlier when, when we were in the car park. And I'd learned from them that they were going to be hiking 13 kilometers into the forest to camp over, uh, overnight. Now, I was rather jealous of them because uh, it sounded really exciting. You see... The um, Marlborough Forest is 9,300 hectares in size. That's 22,971 American football fields large. I'm not sure of uh, what it is in Canadian football fields, but that's how large it is in American football fields. 22,971 American football fields large, which means it's huge, it's big, and these... And these two men were walking into it. NaturallyOttawa.com, talking about the Marlborough Forest, says this: that it's uh, it says it says Ottawa's largest natural area lies in the south end of the city, largely unknown to most residents. A 200-kilometer square patchwork of forests and abandoned homesteads, swamps and fens, dusty forestry roads, and claustrophobic thickets. It hides off the beaten path, protecting its secrets. Only one road crosses it, Roger Stevens Drive, which bisects it from east to west. Dwyer Hill Road skirts in and out along its west side. Um, A few other public roads probe the edges, ending either in cattails or in locked gates. And then it says this, one One doesn't stumble upon the Marlborough Forest. A visit requires purpose and intent. Marlborough Forest is literally a few kilometers south of my house, but a visit requires purpose and intent. I love that. It makes the hairs on my arm stand up. I wonder what it it would have been like to hike 13 kilometers into the forest and to set up camp. I wonder what I would have seen, which I don't usually see, um, what kind of uh, 
what landscape I would have to navigate. And so on that cold January Saturday morning, while my family and I were having a lovely time walking our well-known loop, there were others in their rucksacks and their snowshoes who were equipped for exploration striding deep into the forest. My point is this, is that we were both in the Marlborough Forest, but we knew what to expect. But they were on an adventure. And friends, and friends, that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Through prayer, how can we have an adventure? How far can we go into God? How deep are we able to go? Are there things off limit? Are there things that we shouldn't really talk about? How honest can we be or should we be? How emotional should we get in our prayers? Is it okay to get angry when we pray, are we really allowed to show it all and to bear it all? Um, are we, um, are we m- maybe allowed to use strong language when we pray? Is that okay? Is there a line? Is there a line between honesty and respect? And if so, where is that line? So to start us off, let's read First uh, Corinthians two nine to twelve. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God what we have received is not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us friends God is like the Marlborough Forest ready for us to explore And he invites us not just to traipse along the Cedar Grove Trail like we do every week, but to go deeper and deeper into the vastness of who he is, his kindness and his love and his justice and his power. And to help us do this, he has given us two things. First, his written words to us, which is the Bible. And secondly, our spoken words to him, which is prayer. His written word to us which is the Bible, and secondly, our spoken word to him, which is prayer. And just like the Marlborough Forest, one one doesn't just stumble upon the Lord of the universe. A visit requires purpose and intent. For us to um, experience God through prayer, we need to be equipped with honesty. I really believe this, the, uh, that the thing that single-handedly stops us from knowing God more is a fear of being honest with him. Friends, when we're not honest with God, we hold back from him. Yesterday, as uh, in the Set Free Retreat, which was absolutely amazing, um, I had the chance to get honest in prayer and confession with a couple of guys from our church. And it was scary, but it was liberating. And then on Monday, next Monday, tomorrow at 7 p.m., over 20 of us are starting the way, a renewal pathway that will lead us deeper into who God is. You can still sign up on the website if you want to. Friends, when we're, when we're not honest with God, 
We, we, we consign ourselves to knowing only this much of him because God reveals himself to those who trust him with their honest selves. Now, I think that many of us are afraid of being honest with, with him. We ask this, what will God think if he knows the truth about me? Mate, he already knows the truth. Or maybe we think this, but what will he think if he knows that I know that he knows the truth about me? He already knows. And we will get into that a little bit later. But, but know this for now, that what we read in the Bible is we read prayer after prayer after prayer that is honest and that is filled with emotion. Because, you know, the Bible knows two things that we often uh, maybe doubt. Number one, it knows that God knows it anyways. Psalm 139 verse 4 says this, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it half Maybe 75%? No, you know it completely. And I think he also knows the words that never make it to our tongues. And secondly, the Bible knows that God can be trusted. Psalm 62 verse 8, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him. Why? For God is our refuge. So friends, whenever you are tempted to hold back from God or to not pour out your heart, you know, to be less than honest with him, remember these truths, that God knows it anyway and that God can be trusted. So why not be honest? Now I think that when we think about honesty in prayer, there are three major questions which we have, or at least me. So so maybe this sermon is only for me this morning, or maybe it's not. First, we ask this, how, how, how honest can I be in confessing my sin? Secondly, we ask, how, how honest can I be in prayer in expressing my emotion? And thirdly, is it okay to use strong language in my prayers? Okay, that's a bit of a weird third question, but I think it's a legitimate one, and I think that Scripture might have something to say about it. So first, how honest can I be in confessing my sin? Okay, think right now. Right now, in this second, think of your deepest, darkest secret. That one that you hope no one ever finds out about, that one that, that, that makes that flush of shame rise in your face and your neck. I have mine. Friends, let me tell you a secret. God knows it anyway. And God can be trusted. He knows it anyway. And he can be trusted. So how honest should you be in confessing sin? Well, you should be absolutely honest. 100%. Because when God hears your, your honest confession, God does not blush. He doesn't gasp. He doesn't say, what? What did you just say? In fact, it's when you don't confess your sin that God starts to get riled up. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 says this, if we, can, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. When we don't say things, um, when we keep silent, when we don't confess, we are making God out to be a liar. And so we should be less concerned about God gasping in horror at our confession and more concerned at God shaking his head in sadness that we don't confess. If we're holding back through some misplaced sense of maybe politeness or shame, then we make God out to be a liar. Your silence says that God is a liar. So why not allow God to be the God of truth by telling him the truth? Because God already knows and God can be trusted. And in fact, I think that this thing, this, this fear of being honest, is one of the things I'm sure that stops many people from turning to Jesus in the first place and handing their lives over to him. Because they don't want him to know just how bad they are. But he knows, right? And he can be trusted. And the only way to know how trustworthy Jesus is is to be honest with him, is to tell him everything, is to confess it all, those things that you've carried with you for years, those sins that you've submerged, maybe for decades, those are burdens that you were never supposed to carry. Because Jesus, he's already died so that you could be cleansed from your guilt and your shame and the, and the burden of those very sins. So if you come to Jesus and you confess your sin to him. It's not like he looks at the legal contract he nailed onto the cross and he says, hmm, interesting, your marital infidelity isn't actually covered here. Sorry. Or that, that, those, those hoops that you jumped through when you did, your ca- you, you did your taxes this year, that's not actually covered here. Sorry. Or, you know, the abortion that you've re- regretted ever since you were a... Young adult, sorry, that's beyond my scope, my remit. Or that fantasy that you entertained last night, sorry, that's too gross, not covered. Jesus is not like an insurance agent looking for ways out of honoring his agreement. No, it's the exact opposite. He's actually chasing you down the street, waving the legal contract and saying, it's covered. It's covered. You just have to apply. It's covered in full. You are eligible. And in fact, that's the message of the gospel is that Jesus chases down every sinner and every skulker and every shame-ridden human being and he's shouting, you are covered in full. You just have to apply. You just have to confess. Colossians 2, 13 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, there's nothing worse than being, you know, there's nothing more, more, more without hope than that picture. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So how honest can you be about your sin? 100%, absolutely. 
without any exception because honesty is the only way to liberty. Now, there are many, many facets of honesty in prayer that we could look at this morning. Next week, we will look at lament, at expressing our sadness. But this morning, I just want us to look at one more aspect of honesty. How honest can I be in expressing my emotion in prayer? You know, I mentioned earlier that line between respect and um, uh, between respect, uh, respect on one side and authenticity or honesty on the other side, right? And so we all recognize that there's this line there. And that's not a bad thing. We don't want to pray in a disrespectful way. But when we're trying to work out what that line is, we have to understand one thing, that we're doing this as 21st century Canadians or folks folks from the UK. And if there's one thing that Canada, this fine nation, is famous for, it's being really polite, super polite. You know, I was at a restaurant the other day. Um, I had a Chinese order. And while I was waiting with a bunch of people for my order, some old guy just walks in. He has no mask on. He makes some comment about masks being for robbers. He takes his food and he walks out of the door. Now, at that moment in that time, how many of us were either offended or shocked? Probably most of us, if not every single one of us. But how many of us said anything? No one. Zip. Not a person. And why didn't we say anything? Because we're so, you know, polite. Because, because, because we are Canadian. We are Brits. That's not how we handle things. We just keep quiet. And I think that in prayer, we can confuse uh, politeness and respect. Respect is an essential component of a, of a created being uh, speaking to the infinitely holy creator of the universe. We need respect, but we need to quit being polite. You know, I mentioned earlier Psalm 62 verse 8 that says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Trusting in God means pouring out our hearts to him. And friends, I've never poured out my heart to anyone in a nice and a polite way. You know, the act of pouring out one's heart, it's an all or a nothing event. It means letting it all hang out. It means heart racing, snot pouring, fist pounding. It means sobbing and yelling and hair pulling. It means clothes ripping and screaming. It means holding onto that pillow and shouting into it. That's not fair. It means allowing yourself to be so distraught in God's holy presence that people will think that you're drunk or you're high. Really, Dan? Yeah, really. First Samuel 15 says this, not, not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. You know, the priest Eli thought that Hannah was out of her mind drunk, but in fact she was out of her mind with sadness and with grieving. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord, she said. You see, she was childless, and her pain led her to heartbreaking honesty with the Lord. 
And what was the priest's response to this brazen and unashamed expression of grief? Uh, We're not that kind of establishment. Here's the number of a counselor that we recommend. So would you please take this, whatever this is, and move it off the premises so that people can worship in peace? No, that's not what the priest said because... What the priest, what Eli recognized was that something important, something holy was happening at that moment. And so he said to Hannah, he said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Friends, there are some circumstances in life that should move our souls to a heart to heart with the Lord. No holds barred. There are some things that have happened in your life that if you've never allowed yourself to let go with your feelings and your emotions in the presence of God, who knows anyway, and who's absolutely trustworthy, then these things are like chains around your soul. They are suffocating you. They are strangling you. When it comes to prayer, friends, it's always better out than in. Lamentations chapter 2 verse 18 says this, the hearts of the people cry to the Lord. Just listen to this and think of the circumstances that lead someone to say this. The hearts of the people cry out to the Lord. You walls of daughter Zion, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. Arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin Pour out your heart, there it is is again, like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint from hunger at every street corner. Look, Lord, and consider. Whom have you ever treated like this? Should women eat their offspring, the children they have cared for? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? Is this a polite prayer? No. But is it a respectful prayer? Yes, because it's an honest prayer. If I constantly hold back and couch my language and try not to be too emotional or offensive, is that respect? I don't think so. What what are the prayers of the people of maybe India right now? What about the prayers of the people in Israel and in Gaza or the people of Afghanistan or the people of Myanmar, what are the prayers that they need? What kind of prayers do you need in your life right now? Is it, is it polite prayers that insult God? Or is it honest prayers that respect him as the one who knows and the one who can be trusted? Psalm 55 verse 16 says this, As for me, I call to the Lord, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Now the word here for, for cry out in Hebrew is the word hammer, is the word hammer, H-A-M-A, which is the same word used in Psalm 46, verse 3, which, which says, Though its waters roar or hammer and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. And so this word hammer or cry out can be translated as roar, as growl, as rage, as groan, as uproar. But there is one way that hammer cannot be translated. And it's this, it's, it's, it's God bless mummy and God bless daddy. Please let me have a good day. Hammer cannot be translated like that. 
And so once again, God is inviting us deeper and deeper into the woods off the beaten track. He's inviting us to encounter him in a way that respects him with our honesty, with our true selves. I'll wrap up in a minute, but I do want to ask one more question that's sort of related to emotion in prayer, and it's this. Am I allowed to use strong language in prayer? Am I allowed to use strong language in prayer? Now, I know that I'm not the only one to think this or to ask this. Um, you see, it's not, it's, it's not a regular occurrence that you can search up a worship song called A Prayer, written by a Christian worship band on YouTube, and choose whether you want to listen to the explicit version or the clean version. You see, there's this band called, called King's Kaleidoscope, and they have a song called A Prayer. And in the middle of this song, they drop an expletive. And the verse sounds like this. It says, will I fall or will I misstep? Will I call you with my last breath? Will you be there for me after? Will I waste inside the silence where the fear is expletive, violent, wicked sinner thrown to lions with no hope on the horizon? Will I fall or I misstep? And then the singer asks this. I'm sure a question we've all asked. Jesus, where are you? Am I still beside you? And for me, who as a sinner has felt the conviction of the spirit and the weight of my sin, this resonates with me. And then the song ends with a response from Jesus. He says, I'm right beside you. I feel what you feel and I'm here to hold you. When death is too real, you know I died too. I was, I was terrified. I gave myself for you. I was crucified because I love you. I love you, child. I love you. I love you all. Now, we all have our convictions regarding uh, language and the use of language. And, you know, for whatever reasons, there are certain words that have kind of, kind of cemented themselves in our culture as curse words or as bad words, and that's okay. And I know that in the Bible we read a lot about not letting filthy talk or corrupting talk come out of our mouths. But here's what I also know is that the Bible sometimes uses language that would make polite society shocked, like Isaiah 64 verse 6 all of us who have have all of us have become like one who is unclean and our righteous acts are like used sanitary pads and out of 150 psalms there are 17 of them that could be considered imprecatory psalms that are so outraged and angry against the injustice and the sin and the, and the, and the acts of abuse in the world around them that they spew forth like anger and they call on God to do something. Psalms like Psalm 58 that says in verse 8, may they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Some, psalms like Psalm 10:14, which says, "The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless," which is nice, right? 
we're okay saying that. But what about the, 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 the next verse? Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would otherwise never be found out. You ever felt like that? Is it okay to say things like that to our holy God? Well, over one-tenth of the psalms that are imprecatory psalms would say, yes, it's okay. So might there be room in our prayers for strong language when talking about the effect of our sin when we're under conviction of the Holy Spirit? Might there be, be times when, you know, the feeling and the emotion that, that we're experiencing either from sin or from anger or from loss or from maybe doubt or from heartbreak can only be expressed through language that's a bit stronger than what we're used to. I've made the case this morning that, uh, that too often we pray prayers which are polite, which are safe, that are well-known, but there's no risk to them. And these prayers are like going for, with, a, uh, with our family for a walk along a well-known path. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I would put forward that these prayers do not take into account the fullness of the human experience and the totality of the brokenness of the world in which we live. And I think that safe prayers can sometimes be a bit of a cop-out, like we don't really trust God with the truth of our sin or our experience or, or our feeling, our emotion, whether it's anger that we looked at this morning or lament, which we'll look at next week. Sometimes, friends, we think that we're being respectful in our prayers when all we're doing is actually being polite. And I would suggest that our politeness grieves the father heart of God in the same way that if, if, if my daughters were, were um, only said things to me which were polite and they never truly told me how they felt, I might question if they truly loved me, if they truly trusted me. And so I asked the question, how honest can we be in confessing our sin? And I asked the question, how honest can we be in expressing our emotions in prayer? And to those questions, I would say simply this, how much do you love the Lord? How much do you trust him? And how much do you want to know and experience the fullness of who he is? Because just like the Marlborough Forest, God is bigger and more wonderful than we could ever know. But again, like the Marlborough Forest, God remains largely unknown to most people, including most Christians. And just like the Marlborough Forest, one doesn't stumble upon the fullness of who God is. A visit requires purpose and intent. And this starts with treating God with the respect that he's earned by being honest with him.